Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you that you first loved us and that you found us and that you spoke into our lives and that we were able to acknowledge your insistence we were able to surrender to our plans and our ways, to surrender to your ways and your plans because they are victorious plans. They are uh, successful and prosperous ways when we follow you, when we hear you, when we come to you. So we pray, O oh God, that this substance of faith is enriched tonight in our hearts and that each person that is here at Spring of Life Fellowship will grow in faith stronger will be enriched by your word because we know Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So open our eyes and we welcome your word into our lives and our spirit as a lamp unto our feet, as a light unto our path, as a refreshing presence that sustains us in troublesome and difficult times, O oh God. We give you thanks for your mercies renewed tonight and we pray for an expectancy of being enriched and deepened in our faith as we take this journey uh, of a world-changing clash of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Um, so the, the night begins in chapter six, uh, 16 of the book of Genesis because last time we were together, uh, notwithstanding not that we had a visit last week from Pastor Medieros who shared... Uh, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But the week before, we were talking about covenant. We understood what a covenant was. What is, what is that thing? It's a language of God uh, to commit to his purpose. Uh, but tonight, we continue our journey uh, trekking the man Abraham and passing the time where he questions God in chapter 15, where he already believes God, and he says, how is this come to pass? And the Lord says, grab some animals, and, he, and, and split them apart and present them. Uh, he entered into a covenant with Abraham. Um, and he says, uh, it's going to happen because I'm going to keep my word. God is a God of covenant. And he entered into a more excellent covenant by presenting not an animal, it wasn't a goat, it wasn't a bull, it was his son. The blood of his son promises the fulfillment of what he has spoken. So that we're all participants of the new covenant in his blood. So chapter 16 is the verse, uh, is the following uh, pathway in the journey of Abraham's life. Um, I tell the men on Monday nights, this is not for sissies. Okay, um, they're like, man, this is hard. Yes, that's why he calls you a warrior. That's why he says, put on the armor of God. You're not going to a dance, my friend. You're going to a battle, and they want to rip your head off. The devil doesn't play games. He plays for keeps, and he wants to take you and your family to hell. So it's a battle, and it requires an armor, and it requires the intensity of genuine faith, it can't be Mickey Mouse faith. It can't be a, a delicate faith. It's a grounded, deep faith that contends against all adversity, hell and high water. 
So there in chapter 16, verse 1, if life couldn't have got better for Abraham, we see that God is promised. He doubted the promise. God talked to him about covenant. Time had passed. And all of a sudden, we see this verse. It says, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. In the light of this first verse of chapter 16, I am um, blown away by the mere uh, suggestion here at the first front, at the forefront of this verse, that Abraham's wife had bore him no children. We're going to dissect this first part. I want to suggest to you that the fruit of our faith is a gift that comes from God. It's not something you work out with respect to your own strength. Um, God has promised many things for our lives in Him. None, say with me, none. None of which are your responsibility. You, you cannot get a husband out of jail. You cannot repair a broken heart. You cannot address the infirmities of this body. You cannot fix your finances. You cannot address and sustain yourself in the midst of a crazy world. This is not our work to do. And so the substance of faith requires waiting upon God. That's, that is it. And you either wait upon God to see His goodness or you throw the towel. But in this particular instance, Abraham's wife had borne him no children. And what I see here is another thousand years will go by and she will still bear him no children. Because she's not in control of the reproductive system. This is not her realm. She cannot uh, birth a child, put a seed into an egg and birth an entity. Um, but as the attempt of every ungodly woman, she's going to try her best. And if she can't do it, what will she do? She'll find her maid... And she'll give her husband a suggestion. In other words, I can't find it within me to bring about my reality and my desire that God has promised. So I'll do the next best thing. And I will um, move in the direction of Hagar. By the way, the word Hagar means flight. Flight. And uh, a long time ago when I was in college and I went to a first... Uh, class they were talking about man's reaction before adversity there's two reactions they have it's fight or flight and when you're fleeing it's that you're surrendering and you have stopped fighting and uh, so I recall that that is uh, it was confirmed years later I was walking down the street on Bird Road uh, I was in a, a car dealer late at night and I was looking at cars this was a good 17 years ago and as I was looking at the cars, it was already closed. It was nighttime, but I was looking at what they had on the lot. And all of a sudden, I hear the ferocious tones of a mean, nasty, hungry dog right behind me. And so I'm like saying, guess what, Joaquin? You don't have time to run. So turn around 
and start wrestling with this Doberman or Pitbull or German Shepherd, but there's no time to run. And when I turn around, and listen to me, when you don't have time to flight, you have to be fierce. So I just became an all-out fighting machine, and I turn around, and it was Pastor Joey making a joke on me. And he sounded just like a dog. And I said, did you see how courageous I, I was ready to fight? Um, I didn't have time to run, so I had to fight. And, and so this reminds me here that, that there are times where we look mean and, and we're going to fight and, and devil don't mess with me and, and I'm not playing games. But, but what she decides to do is she goes to Hagar. She goes to flight mode. She says, I'm going to run, and that, that's what she does. I, I want you to know several things today. Um, faith is about waiting. The opposite of waiting is running. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, that when you really get to the place where you're waiting upon God, nothing is hurrying your heart. Whoever believes will not act hastily. I'm waiting on God. Yeah, but you, yeah, God, you got to do something. You got to feel something. You gotta, I'm waiting upon God. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to worry. There's nothing to sweat it out. If I really believe, I will wait. I will not act hastily. The devil's not going to put me out of a comfort zone to trust my God. So there he says, therefore says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. This is a tried, a proven stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And whoever believes, whoever is embracing genuine confidence in God's ability to fulfill his promise, he's not going to act hastily. In other words, I'm not going to take flight. I'm, I'm going to entrench myself, and, and I'm going I'm to wait upon the Lord. And so in this regards, every time we fail to wait upon the Lord, we rush ahead. Uh, in Spanish, the, the saying is, metemos la pata. We stick our foot into uh, a horrible set of circumstances God never intended because instead of having genuine faith and waiting upon the Lord, we would have rushed into something that, that is not appropriate. Um, this aspect of what we're getting into here describes the reality of every man and woman who has heard from God regarding his purposes and a life of faith. We are at wit's end. We're at the very desperate time of not seeing um, God's fruit and his promises fulfilled, we don't even see them on the horizon. So we start moving in an opposite direction. I, I, if you don't hear the rest of this message, I want you to understand that this is so pivotal. Pivotal. It's so, it's so necessary as a cornerstone of our faith to wait upon God, the preciousness of having confidence in God, not to move, not to take flight, um, that if you do not wait, you cannot inherit the promises of God. You will never see them. And, and there's, nothing, there's nothing sadder. 
Uh, Paul says like this to the Corinthians. He says, if we do not receive the end of our faith, we are to be the most pitied. Thank you, sir. Um, the most pitied among men. If, if people see me my whole life move in the direction of God's purpose, if that doesn't reveal itself, everybody will say, sucker, this guy trusted in God, and he doesn't have the fruit of waiting upon God's promises. So there is no doubt in my mind, there's not to be a doubt in your mind that what God has promised, he will bring to pass. He has to. That's his nature. He has to bring... and. And that is the clash. That is the, that is the, the, all hell is saying God is a liar and you are a fool for believing him. You are not taking flight. You're not running. You're not surrendering. You say, my God is faithful. And what he promised he'll do, and he'll do way above what you ever fathom. So that, that's the two forces that are at work. Um, there in 1 Samuel 13, you'll have people of God all the time. All the time, 1 Samuel 13, 8, Saul, the first king, is waiting upon the sacrifice to be offered to God before he goes into battle. And he waits eight days. And so after you've been waiting, uh, no, he's seven days, it says. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. The prophet said Samuel said seven days. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people began to scatter. People uh, get ready to go to war, and they begin to go home, and he's scared. So verse 9 says that he, Saul said, bring me a burnt offering and a peace offering here. And he offered them to the Lord. This is a flight situation. He's pressed for time, so he says, I'm not waiting for the prophet. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I will do what I'm not supposed to do just because time is at hand. Uh, Sarah did not want to wait. She thought her waiting period should have been over, so she thought the next best thing, let's bring in a good idea. Uh, not a God idea, but a good idea. So as soon as uh, he finished presenting the burnt offering, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him so he could greet him, so he could welcome him. Verse 11. And Samuel said, um, Saul, what on earth are you doing? What, what got into your crazy head to move ahead of God? Why did you flee? What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were beginning, faith was being stretched, people started being scattered, um, that you did not come within the days appointed, you didn't keep your schedule, that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, verse 12. Then I said to the Philistines, we'll come down. I'm fearing we're going to lose. I, made not, I have not made a supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. I ran ahead of God. This is not called backsliding. It's called front sliding. What's the difference between backsliding and front sliding? Both are the same. God is not in the picture. You ran behind God. Was, well, I didn't backslide. Yeah, but you front slide. And I've done that too. You're so, you're full of anticipation, desire. You want to see the things of God come to pass. So you put your hands on the thing and you mess it up. So faith is not falling behind. Faith is not running ahead. Um, I have not made this, so I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. I didn't do anything bad. It was actually good. 
uh, Sarah was saying, I didn't do anything bad. I actually helped God so we could have a son through the maid. Verse 13, um, Samuel tells him, you have acted foolishly. How did I act foolishly? Well, you didn't stay within God's parameters. You didn't stay within what God said. You went with what Sarah said. You went with a she said and not a God said. Um, which he commanded you. He already told you. There was already word for you to stand upon. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom forever in Israel. Verse 14. But since you have acted foolishly. Next verse. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept the word of the Lord. Uh, people... Uh, it's very serious to lose your faith. In the last 17 years here at the church, many people have wanted us to be in many different directions. But the safeguard of where we're at is waiting upon the Lord. Not trying to make something of ourselves. Not trying to play and run ahead of ourselves. Going back to Genesis 16, um, verse 2. We're only on verse 2 so far. Sarah said to Abraham, this is all of us. We don't have to say Sarah. This is all of us. See now how the Lord is stopping me from getting what he promised. This is when you start your flight pattern instead of a fight pattern. You start telling God he's not fair. You start making God your enemy. God is a taker. You begin to see what Satan wanted Eve to see in the garden. See how God has not given you to eat from this tree? You can't, you can't bear witness of everything God has done for your life. He signals out a place and calls God, God is bad. Look what God is doing. He has kept you from eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here, look how God has restrained me. He's kept me from. God is the barrier. God is the enemy. He's the bad guy. Um, some guy says to me yesterday, Molina, you're going around trying to scare me with el, el coco. I said, it's not coco, it's el cuco. It's, listen, God is good at levels that we could never understand. And the devil is always trying to paint a portrait of God's wickedness, of how he's keeping us. Uh, that's not the nature of God. He's not a restraining God. He's a giving, generous, abundantly, merciful. Uh, listen, I'm going to say something, and, and this is how I honestly feel. We, we want God to prosper us financially, prosper us with health, prosperous with family, prosperous with a career, prosperous in granting us refreshing. God has to do nothing of the sort. God has no obligation. There's no entitlement route in our regard. So I say this, every night when I go to bed on a mattress, there's a lot of people going to bed on the ground. Every night I cuddle with my pillow, there's people that don't have a pillow for their head. 
I was having lunch yesterday with my friend Carlos. And I said, Carlos, do you understand that we're part of the top 2% in the world that have a car, that have air conditioning, that have a house? We're, we're so utterly overblown with the blessings of provision and we still go around grunting at God like if we were beggars thinking that we're entitled to something else look at the facility that we worship God in it's like uh, we went to the baseball game yesterday the, the last week at the Marlin game and I was like Carlos I'm going to catch a cold in here because watching baseball in freezing air conditioning we have it so comfortable and we still go around with the faces of God is being mean. He's kept me from whatever your, you know, whatever the devil has you meditating upon. Who are we to have these things? And, and listen to me, Sarah was a saint. She's a woman of God. She's in, sinful in her nature and she turns to her husband and says, since God is keeping me since we're gonna do a we're gonna do a battle plan, and we're gonna, we're gonna come against God with our own, we're gonna structure our own ways, and so we're still in verse two. I don't know if we're gonna finish tonight. You guys got till midnight. Second verse. See how the Lord. Hey, don't let people come and 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 give you a resume of how evil God is. And, and a friend of mine says, Joaquin, I could write a book this thick of all the bad things that God does in his church. I said, you're wicked, my friend, because you could write a book this thick of all the good things he does. You could write a book about this big of, of the times God has been there for you a million times. Let's not confess God's sins. He's without sin. We're the ones that were running from God hiding from God, mocking God, laughing at God. And here she says, Abraham, see now how the Lord has kept me from having children. Please, I beg you, let's go to the game plan. Let's, let's stop waiting. Let's stop fighting a fight, fight of faith. Let's move in this direction. Perhaps I... See the difference between the verse one was since uh, um, Sarai had not born any children. She can't born children. She's not into that business. She has to wait for the Lord to do that. And, and so number two, she says, this way I shall obtain children by her. I'm, I'm going to find a way. And it's not going to be God's way. And this is where the clash takes place. My will, my will set up against God's ways. My will against God's ways. And, and that's where faith is an issue. That's why many people won't walk a life of faith. So, um, the endless amount of preachers rag on Abraham, calling him henpecked, that he is letting his wife uh, lead him and overwhelm him because it says, and Abraham submitted to the voice of Sarah. Everybody's like, que rapido. <laughs> How quick my friend was engaged to say, Amen, Sarah. But I want to tell you verse 3 is a little bit more insightful. It says that it wasn't an immediate 
going into Hagar as the maid. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. My friend, if we're talking about a woman who moves in the direction of Satan, um, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. Paul, in the New Testament now, thousands of years later, says, I fear that in the same way the serpent deceived Eve, right? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles and prophets transforming them, verse 14. Let's go to verse 12. Let's see if it's on there. I have a typo here. 15, 16, I'll look it up. Here Paul is, is giving the example where he says that as Eve was deceived from a simplicity of her faith, of believing God, um, 11.3. I, I added a 1 in front, so I said 13. So let's go to 3. 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3. I fear, Paul says, lest somehow, the devil's going to work his way somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve, by his craftiness, so your minds will be twisted from simplicity that's in Christ. What's, what's the only thing Abraham and Sarah had to do? Anybody want to answer that? Wait. Wait, that's all, this, this, this is why I love to hang out with people that their genuine faith is their faith doesn't cause them to hurry. We said it, uh, he who believes will not act hastily. There's no rush. Um, there is no way for what God has said not to come to pass because he's said it. And so there Paul is telling the Corinthians, I fear that just as Eve was deceived... And remove from her faith that you also, Second uh, Corinthians eleven three, that you also might lose the simplicity that is in Christ. That your minds may be corrupted, your thoughts begin to twist into ways of how to achieve that which uh, it might be the the fulfillment of God's promise, but definitely. It's the uh, pursuing it in a manner that is too fast. Uh, if we go back to Genesis 16, and we're reading there in verse 3, that Abraham had dwelt 10 years. I, I want to touch upon the time period here. Because it seems like from the time God promised them to the time that now she's inventing and coming up with her own game plan, she's taking flight, uh, 10 years had passed. Um, if God would take 10 years to answer your prayer, would that be too long? Would that be just on time or would it be too late? 10 years. How about 15 years? How about 20 years? Um, this aspect of waiting upon God in its reality has a time frame. How many say amen? Some of us are like, this is too long. I mean, it's not long, long. Faith is a time period. She had already waited 10 years. 
Was she faithful? Was, was that, that was a solid time? Um, those of us of the community of faith like to put numbers on God. How many say amen? Matthew 18, 21. Peter comes up to Jesus. And he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? The, the numbers factor. Ten years is a good enough time. I waited ten years of faith. That makes me an elder. I'm a, I'm a man of God. I waited ten years. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, I came to my pastors when I was a young boy, a young man, and I said, I want to be a pastor. They said, no, go study. So nine years, law school. I come back. I give them my doctor's degree in law, and I said, I'm ready to be a man of God. I waited nine years, and I did what you guys asked. They said, no, go work. Ten years. So nine and ten, 19 years. You ready to wait 19 years on God? To serve God, to become, to, to see the fulfillment of his promises. You know, it's been 30 years already since I've been walking with the Lord. Is that a long time? I still haven't seen the things that God has promised. I, I've, I've seen a lot of them, but I'm still waiting, waiting. A genuine waiting. So here, he offers the Lord, how many, how many would have used the number seven? Lord, I'll forgive this knucklehead that keeps bothering me seven times. Now I'm going to get him. Then he's going to get it. So how many would say seven? I wouldn't have said seven. I would have said three. He doubled it to six and then added one. He's at seven. That's a man of faith. What's God say? The next verse. Verse 22. It's not seven, Peter. How about, I do not say up to seven times. I say up to 70 times seven. 490 times a day. I don't think you're going to be offended that many times by your brother. I think about that time you're on the 489 and, and so the next day starts, now you got to give him a fresh 490. How many are seeing genuine faith? Not any more numbers. It's not 10 years. It's not 490 times. Because see, when faith is involved, you're not counting anymore. You're just waiting upon his faithfulness. There's a genuine expectation. My God is true. My God is faithful. My God is going to see this thing come to pass. So even the, the, that was Peter. You might say Peter was a little presumptuous. And the Lord slammed him right there. 70 times 7. 490. I, I don't know. There's not even a response. Let's see what verse 23 says just in case. Okay, so there's not. Peter is not, he's like, I just, I was on seven. I was hoping he would say, no, 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 just three and then double it, it'll be six. You don't have to go to seven. You're acting too godly. No, no, no. So we're on the numbers games. And even people like Paul there in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 8, he says, concerning these matters, I implored three times the Lord. I asked the Lord, Lord, please take this away from me. Three times. Lord, please, three times that it might depart from me. And, and the Lord says, no, Paul, this is not a numbers game. It's not 70. It's not 70. It's not 10 years. It's not what you want to bring in to impose your dignity in what you're doing. So he says in verse 9, he says, let my grace be sufficient. 
let my presence be a reality in your life. Because then, then that'll be my strength perfecting your weakness. Therefore, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know for sure. Uh, some of us are counting. Man, if they let me down one more time, I'm going to let them have it. If this happens once more time, if I don't get next time, if I, and, and you're just playing games. You're just playing games. And this is what happened to Sarah. She waited 10 years, and then she unfolded her thoughts upon the situation. Verse 4, Genesis 16, 4. I want you to not be blown away by the magic of numbers and to think that you're going you're gonna to put this in the right course. Verse 4, so he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived her mistress, became despised in her eyes. What we're seeing here is the beginning of the clash. Look, God has set the order of events to flow in a way that's going to have peace and joy and prosperity, and you're going to dream dreams in his purposes. Um, when we counteract and want to hurry up the time and the seasons and the day, and we want to live in another reality, then there's going to be a clash between what God intended, Isaac, and what you birthed, an Ishmael. And there will be a, 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 a huge clash between the flesh and the spirit. The ways of God and the will of man. You got to surrender. You got to, somehow or another, you have to say, God, not my will, but thine be done. And to the degree that, that this is the reality of faith, if we go to Galatians 5.17, we're going to see it right there. And Paul describes it for what it is. Um, he says, for the flesh is warring against the spirit. And the spirit is warring against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you do not do the things that you wish. This, this is the battle of faith. The reality of God. The fulfillment of God. The reality of your emotions and your flesh and your desires. Trumping and trampling the ways of God. And how horrible that we birth Ishmael's. We birth Ishmael's the whole time, the fruit of our great ideas. And Isaac's are coming. The Isaac, the promise of God is there, is steadfast. If you run ahead of God, you miss it. If you fall short and throw the towel and, and surrender and give up your faith, you'll never see how God purposed all things to fall in their place in a, in a glorious manner. And the devil contends with us. See, God's not fair. See what happens. See what's going on. And the Spirit says, he has a purpose. He'll be glorified. He's awesome. He's faithful. To him be glory and praise. And you don't put up with the flesh and its desire to...
it's pretty, this gets pretty ugly and hairy now. Here's the messy part. Ready? How many think Abraham just did what he was told? He's a good guy. He's just doing what he was told. Listen, all of a sudden, she's being despised. She's being uh, replaced. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 16, verse 5, verse 4. Verse 4. Her mistress became despised in her eyes. So there's a clash between uh, Sarah and Hagar, the, the, the wife of Abraham with a servant maid. Verse 5. And this is what Sarah decides to do. What, do you, what does she decide to do? How many think she's going to throw Abraham under the bus? Absolutely. Absolutely. She's going to make sure that he gets, he gets the... He gets the full brunt of her fury. Sarai said to Abraham, My wrong be upon you, you sinister, desperately wicked, evil husband. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, I became despised in her eyes. May the Lord judge between you and me, you wicked man. And so now all the consequences of not waiting, of not being steadfast in the Lord, all the accusations of the enemy, it becomes a, a crazy scenario uh, when, when the flesh speaks, I had a friend of mine, the flesh said, go buy a car, go buy a car. And he bought a car and, and three months into it, he couldn't afford it. He didn't have the money. And so now the devil is pointing fingers, you stupid idiot, you loser. They're going to take your car and you lost the car you had. And all the brunt of hell that comes against you. When you don't stand your ground, that's what the devil does. After he gets you to do something wicked, he comes and, and holds you foolishly responsible. So blaming Abraham, sowing seeds of inconformity, a contention arises, a clash. May God judge you, you wicked man. Uh, pointing fingers, bringing confusion, chaos, and darkness. What, what, is, what is Abraham looking like the, like, what did I do? What did, I just did what you said. Listen, we need to know what he said and pay that price. The other price is, is too far gone, crazy. Later on, when we made the decision that wasn't a God said, it was a she said, it was a flesh said, it was a great idea, but not a God idea. Uh, we, we should really look into, before making a decision, to make sure that that's what God says. What is God's word for this situation? You should always have a God's word and not an emotional uh, backlash or move for hostility. What does Abraham do in response? Verse 6, he throws Eve under the bus. Verse 5, she throws him under the bus. And now verse 6, Abraham said to Sarai, Indeed, your, 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 your maid, your maid, it's yours, um, it, She's in your hands. Do with her what you please. Don't hold me responsible. It was your idea. Do whatever you want. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from that house. She ran. How many know she's pregnant while she's running? How many know that she's running away from family? 
She's running away from the father of the son that's going to be born. She's in the middle of the desert. She's desperate. She has no house, no family. She has no employment. I, I want to suggest that the next verse in this thing, the next two verses, are crazy. First verse is verse 7, where it says, The angel found her, talking about Hagar. Could, could I ask you a question? Who would go looking for Hagar? Do you know anybody? You're running ahead of me. Nobody. Hagar could have been buried, pregnant in the desert without water, without food, without a house, without a job, without help. You, you decide to describe this woman in the middle of the wilderness outside of the scope of the provisions that she would have otherwise where she's running from. And I don't know many people. In fact, I, I can't tell you that I know anyone outside of God that is looking for the desperate, the forsaken, the distraught. I don't know anybody. And so here this verse is that the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness. In verse 8, he not only finds her, that means he's looking for her, and we know that God is in the business of looking, but he's going to bring a word that addresses not only her present situation, but addresses her past. What happened in the past is God's concern. What happens in the present, God cares about. And what's going to happen in the future is his stewardship for that which belongs to him. So he said, Hagar, addressing Sarah's maid, where do you come from? Listen, the answer to that question, for many of us, we don't want to address. Our past is so stinky, it's like dog poo. We want to bury it and keep it so nobody knows about it. But God is saying, listen, I was there. I know where you're coming from. And so he's setting her in the right perspective. And people don't know this about God. Listen, when I came to God, I understood that God could fix me now and he could mark my future. He, he had a different future. I never knew that God lives in eternity and he could visit my past and fix it too. That blew me away. I never thought, who could travel back in time? Does anybody know? Back to the future? Remember the movie, we won't get in a spaceship, we go back and we fix, because if not, mom marries a nerd, or however it went. We fix, the, and then we fly back to the future. Listen, I know a God who will visit your past and redeem it and glorify his name. That, that I found out in the Lord. It, it takes a while. It takes a while for you to understand that when he says, I am the God of yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll visit your past. I'll deal with your present. And I got your future taken care of. That's what he's telling Hagar. Nobody's looking for Hagar. And much less are they going to want to deal with her past. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where 
have you come from? Ask yourself that question, people. We don't want to go there, but we were there. And God knows about it. And he wants you to understand. And then he says, obviously he's there in their presence, so he says, where are you going? He says, what, what are your plans a couple of days, weeks, months, and years from now? And so he's saying, I got your back. I got you covered. This woman doesn't have a beautiful plight here. It's very messy. Some pastor says that God never asks a question that he doesn't have an answer to. So he's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking so that she clarifies. So she positions herself. Listen, I'm the God of your past. I'm the God of the present. And I'm the God of the future. And I'm here to seek you, save you, and provide for you. And, and this blows her away. And, and I want to tell you something. It blows her away because no one else is looking for Hagar. Abraham's not going out for her. Sarah's not going out for her. None of her friends, employees, none of her relatives are there. It's God that's there. And it's God that will always be there. And there it is. He asked her that question. Now she answers and she says, I am doing what everybody else does that has the situation I have. I'm running. I'm fleeing. Incidentally, we said that already. That's her, what Hagar means. The name Hagar means flee. Uh, Sarah fleed to her, and now she's fleeing from Sarah. And so I want to, the, the next step here is going to be crucial. Verse 9. This is how God resolves every crisis of every disgusting, dysfunctional mess in our lives. And he says, return to where I put you. Return to your mistress. What? Return to a place of authority. Return to a place where I've set you to do something that you don't know. Return to your mistress, Sarai, and submit yourself under her hand. Listen, this is awkward. This is totally in opposition of our thoughts. This does not concord with our prosperity and flourishing. Um, God will always tell you to honor, respect your authorities. That that's the beginning of restoration. That's the beginning of being lifted up. 1 Peter 5, 6. That unless you humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, He can't exalt you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up in the season, in its time. Whenever you find somebody that is destitute, that is in poverty, impoverished, uh, without hope, without a future, tell them go back to the place that you left of honoring, respecting, and submitting to your authority. When I see a homeless man in the street and he's out there saying, man, I don't have no food. I have no clothes. I said, where are you from? Ohio. I said, go back to Ohio. Get under the tutelage of your church and your pastor. Get under the tutelage of your mom and dad. Get under the tutelage of those people that care about you. Last night I was talking to one of my neighbors. He says, I'm waiting for my son to return to obedience. I'm a millionaire, and I have money to give him for his prosperity, but he's a hardhead and doesn't want to listen to me. So I'm just waiting for him 
to get tired of his own ways. I'm I want him to, to be fed up with his own stupidity so then I can project him towards powerful prosperity and purpose. But he's still caught up in his own ways. And so that's what the angel is saying. Go back. Submit yourself. Return to the mistress. Submit yourself under her hand. I can't lift you up until you do. Verse 10. Because when you do, Genesis 16, 10. When you get back in the rightful place at the rightful time under that cruel and harsh condition. And that uncomfortable feeling. Then I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. So they that shall not be able to be counted for the multitude. There, there's a place of flourishing. I, I hope you know that. I hope that you know there's a place to be grounded and rooted for you to flourish and be prosperous. Levels of abundance is what God has for you. Levels to take you to another level. And by the way, as you walk in that direction, verse 11, I know what's going to happen. Verse 11, you're going to bear a child. And you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. The Lord has come to rescue your horrible mess. The Lord has a visitation for you. Verse 12. I, I, I love verse 12 because verse 12 says, listen to me. Um, I'm going to deal with you despite the consequences of the dysfunction that you're in. In other words, we want a genie to come in and say, get rid of all the ugly stuff and make everything pretty. God says, no. In the midst of the ugly stuff that's real and it's a consequence of reality, I'm going to be there. But look, this son you're going to have is a wild man. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. The guy will have... He'll argue with his own shadow. He's going to fight with himself in the mirror. There's going to be issues in his life. Every man's hand will be against him. He shall dwell in the... Pre this is all going to take place so that everybody sees it. A lot of us want to grab and, and be, you know, Photoshop our, our past. Photoshop our reality. I love how God says, you know something? All this plan, I'm seeing it. I'm watching over it. I got it. I'm, I'm going to handle this. But it's not going to be, it's not happening. We're not going to do the ostrich, stick our head in the sand. It, that, that's not my past. No, 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 it is your past. It's ugly. It's insanely ugly. It's controversially crazy, insane. But God's right in the middle of it. God's right in the middle of it. And he is going to address it at, at incredible degrees. See, something happens with her when she sees the benevolence of God, the disgusting nature of reality. Verse 13, she says, Now I understand that God's on task. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God whose eyes see everything. You didn't overlook anything. You saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's, that's what I like about faith. A lot of people get into faith because it says, it's not happening. Yes, it's happening. And it's crazily happening. But guess what? God is greater than what's happening. God is he's ready to unleash heaven's fury to do what he promised. And so she has a revelation. God, you're the one who sees everything. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? 
I finally understand that I thought God wasn't involved. I thought God was disconnected. Yesterday, I, it was late at night. I went across the lake here in my house, and I started talking with a neighbor. So, so witnessing is still a good thing, right? We're still talking to our neighbors about the Lord, trying to win them to God. And so I came back at night, and I forgot that my keys, before I jumped on my jet ski and crossed the lake, I had left my keys on the wall at night. So you guys know me. I'm going to cross the lake. I'm going to tie the jet ski and go inside the house. And in the morning, what am I going to say? Where's my keys? I don't know where my keys are. Where the heck did I put my keys? But when I crossed the lake, Yvette came outside and she goes, I've been waiting for you. And she kicks the keys. She goes, oh, there's keys there. I go, you know who that was? That was the Lord. God was right here right now. Because my keys would have been gone. But I, that was faithfulness. You kick the keys. God is involved. Thank you, Jesus. You're here. And we notice that God is right here. Listen, there's a lot of things going on all over the universe. But you're not a real, genuine, faithful Christian until you know that God is the God who sees. He's there. He's there not only for me in my backyard last night, 9 o'clock at night, but for you in today and what's going on now. He's here. He's there. And so you can say, thank you, Lord. I, I, I feel you here. You, could, you can have the revelation that this woman had at that moment. And, and the most awful, disgusting, sinister act of the devil is to accuse God of not seeing of being blind. Because see, to understand that God sees the word provision, He sees before you have a need. And He meets your provision. If He was a blind God, it would be horrible. He couldn't see. He couldn't reach. He couldn't find. He couldn't see your anguish. But she has a revelation there. And she calls unto this God, you see. And listen to me, the eyes of God, 2 Chronicles 69, if you want to see what God is looking for, this is what he's looking for. He's looking for those that want his eyes to be upon them. He's looking for those that he says the eyes of God are running throughout the earth, the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is into looking at matters, to observing these issues. In verse 14, Genesis 16, 14, he says, Therefore she called that place Beer Lai Roi. This is the place where God's eyes are open. And she actually gives it geographical coordinates between Kadesh and Bered. This is where God extends his vision so that things are seen. And verse 15 says, So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and he named his name Ishmael. She gives birth to this son. Verse 16 tells us something very important. What it tells us that's important is that Abraham is 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. I have a question for you tonight. Do you know when Isaac came? Abraham was 100 years old. 
So what is 86 years from 100? 14 more years where they would not see evidence of God's promise. 10 that they waited and another 14 until the promise came. Um, the Bible says that Abraham was able to inherit God's promise. And, and that's why he becomes the father of faith. Because he waits. And he's 100 years old when Isaac shows up. Could we stand up tonight and say, Lord, I, I've been, there's been a lot of things here that has contended with me tonight. There's a lot of things here that I never thought I would hear, but I thank God I came to church tonight and I heard them. I thank God that I know you more now than I did when I came in here. That your eyes, Hebrews 4.13, I want you to know this because this is super important as we talk about God's eyes being able to see. He says, there's no creature hidden from his sight. And some people says, yeah, but he's not looking at me because I was, look how long he's taking. Look what, look what happened. There's nothing hidden from his sight. But say with me, all things are naked. When you see the word naked, we freak out. We're like, no, it's, all things are uncovered. There's nothing before his eyes covering. They're naked. They're, they're revealed, open to his eyes, to the eyes of him to whom he's going to ask us. I, I think that that is the most, the most authenticity of the faith that I've received in Christ Jesus. What has made my walk with Jesus the most real is that since 1984, January 1st, 1984, the eyes of the Lord have been on my life 100% of the time, all the time, everywhere I've gone, in every issue, in every circumstance. That's why some people, they, they, they hide, you know. Uh, when you don't have a genuine faith, you're hiding from the pastor. You're hiding from the church believers. You're, you're hiding from policemen. You're hiding from the IRS. But genuine faith is the eyes of God are upon me. He sees everything, and he's there for me. Um, he's not embarrassed of, of our past. He's not... A lot of us would have whited out that whole thing. You know, let's not talk about Hagar's past. Everything's pretty. Everything's disgusting. Everything's upside down. And he's there for her. And he says, where were you in the past? Where are you going? He sets you in strides. He says, get back under authority. In that place, I have a plan. Get back under that place you feel super uncomfortable with. I've set an established authority so I could lift you up and so I could prosper you, so I could multiply your descendants, so I could make your future a success. And so genuine faith calls tonight to understand that there's a clash between the spirit. There's a verse there in Matthew. I want to read it real quick. Matthew, let me get it for you. Super important verse. Where Jesus, he says that, that they're battling for being able to overcome Matthew 26, 41. Press in, watch and pray that you may not enter 
into temptation. Enter into that which wants to sequester you. How many, how many know that the natural reaction of man is to run? It's not to stay and fight. I mean, there's very few brave people willing to take on a Doberman Pinscher in a car dealer. But that was when I knew I couldn't run because he would catch me. So I had to turn around, and I was about to rip Joey's head off when I saw it wasn't a Doberman. But God wants you to sit there and fight the battle of faith and to know it's a confrontation. It's a fierce battle with believing God, standing strong, or, or just allowing you to become silly putty in the hands of the enemy. And all the lies he tells you, God is not looking, God doesn't care, your past is too crazy. All the stuff that comes, and this is the clash of faith. It, it, tonight, as, as a measure of refreshing in his presence, can you come to the altar tonight? This is a great time to be at the altar and say, Lord, charge my batteries. Renew my strength. Let me mount up on wings like an eagle. Let me not be a chicken scruffling the ground, picking at the crap. I need to mount up the heights of your purposes and the fulfillment of your calling upon my life. I tell the men on Monday nights, this is a fight. It's a fierce fight. Fight for your life. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your families. Fight for your children. Hang on with hands, feet, claws, teeth. And if your teeth fall out, start gumming. Start gumming and holding on with your gums. Let's sing this song to the Lord as God's presence is here refreshing you. And tell God what Hagar told God. Your eyes are upon me. You see my life. You've seen my ways. My past, my present, my future are taken care of because you're the God that sees provides provision praise the lord you could go back to your seats we were talking about um, it was so important for hagar to return you know part of of fleeing is we don't know where we're flying to uh, about 17 years ago when 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 a 19 year old came to my house late at night and he says my my mom was just murdered and, and he came to my house and he says, what do I do? I said, don't run to the devil. Don't flee to the devil. Surrender in the embrace of our God. Because yeah, a lot of things move us and cause us to move. The, the natural thing is to get upset at God. Get upset with the church. Get upset with our Bibles. I'm not reading the Bible no more. I'm not praying no more. That's where we need to run. And that's where the angel told Hagar, return and humble yourself. Submit yourself in that place, and then you'll see, he says, multiplied descendants. Father, thank you for what you've done here tonight. Thank you that your provision is always perfect. This, this message could have been preached any time this year, but you brought it tonight because you are the God that sees. You're the God that knows. And Father, we promise to return to where we need to be in a rightful attitude humbly waiting upon you so we can see our deliverance, our answer from God in the depth of our anguish and adversity and the clash of faith versus fear. 
We decide tonight that we're restored and renewed in the victory that overcomes the world, 1 John 5, 4. This is what overcomes the world, even what is the victory over the world is our faith. And we pray that you continue to cultivate this relationship with God and that we get into your word more and that the word gets into us more. We get into the word and the word gets into us so that we would be strong in times of adversity. We pray refreshing over all the families, over all the finances, over all our plans the rest of the year, O oh God, that you be exalted and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen.